welcome to New Testament Journey episode 7. We are cracking on through and into quite spectacular territory today, Tom, Acts 7 to 11. What, what a collection of chapters. It's amazing, isn't it? Like you sort of quite familiar with the first few chapters of Acts uh, and then you know Paul, but actually these bits in the middle are incredible. Amazing, amazing. So tell us like big ideas what what happens in these chapters that we've looked at i want to suggest that two time bombs go off in these chapters and the first time bomb is actually the death of the church okay. in jerusalem which then causes the apostles to go they actually the time bomb is that the commission that jesus gave them that you're going to go into jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends of the earth that goes off boom and they it goes off because they die Mm-hmm. The church community in Jerusalem dies. It's, it's Stephen is martyred. Great persecution breaks out against those who are with him, and they have to run for their lives. And uh, I mean, we'll come back to this, but the sorrow and the sense of loss and grief must have been so huge for these guys as they're they're leaving this counterculture, which was a picture of heaven on earth, yeah. and they're having to leave it. Yeah. And I mean that just the sense of loss must have been so profound, and I wonder how quick it was before they looked and thought, like a seed falling to the ground, something must die before life can come. Like our Lord was sent to the cross and gave of Himself before He was raised and spread life. So time on number one, yeah, and then time number two is the disciples. They just start taking risks at the leading of the Spirit and. Ah, that is some amazing stuff from that. (laughs) Superb, superb. So uh, death of the church, tragedy, awful stuff happening. They get scattered. They go everywhere. Uh, Super interesting where it gets picked up and kind of following that through historically what happens. So we get the, the Ethiopian eunuch amazing story like yeah. sat in his chariot reading a little bit from the book of isaiah yeah <laughs> and actually i mean again i've just come back to this passage quite a bit i've been doing quite a bit of reading about the reformation martin luther he he saw the ethiopian church probably as having been planted by this guy okay and he saw it as he looked at the church in europe he looked around the world and thought where's there a church that looks like the New Testament church. Where is there a church that's got Christianity right? And over and over again, he said, Ethiopia, Ethiopia, Ethiopia. Now, this has been not really written into our history of yeah. our understanding of what he was doing. But for Luther, he what he came up with out of the Reformation was, let's be more like the Ethiopians. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. I mean, I think I only even heard of the Ethiopian church maybe in the last couple of years. I didn't grow up hearing about it. It wasn't on my radar, particularly the church history that I read or picked up on. The existence of this church, one of the, the first, the earliest, dating back to the Apostolic Fathers, um... I mean, it kind of turns on its head that idea that Christianity is a white man's religion yeah. that we've exported. It's been in Africa almost from the get-go. Longer than it's been with us. Longer than it's been with us. We have a black man's religion. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think genuinely speaking, if you are somebody uh, and you're black 
and you've heard people say you actually you've bought into a white man's religion or you know they've even criticized you for staying as a christian or for embracing christianity because it's seen as being part of colonialism it's seen as being part of the sort of the the exporting of western power yeah. into the world um actually what you can know is this that europe based its christianity on ethiopian church on the biblical model of church which was crafted and grown in the middle east made its way to ethiopia and to india some of the longest running churches are in those parts of the world to syria and it gradually filtered out into europe and then i think that just shows the fact that god loves the world he loves every nation he's he has a global church and really, it's our parochial mindset in this nation yeah. that's made us blind to that. It's nothing to do with what God's actually done. Yeah. It's nothing to do with who Jesus actually was, how the spirits worked. And um, a guy who's quite influential for both of us, Steve Wilcoxon, I remember, mm. he totally blew my mind one time when he said, the average Anglican, we were, I was yeah. at Anglican Church, as, as were you, uh, the average Anglican person is a 17-year-old Nigerian woman. Mm. And and you know, growing up in a context where we think everything's about us, and particularly maybe in the American or the British or the European kind of mindset for many years, it's all about us. Yeah. And then you suddenly think, like God cares about the world, and actually the centre of gravity of what God's been doing has almost never been in the white world. Yeah. I think we've got our map wrong, haven't we? <laughs> Because we we got massive UK top and centre. It's probably not how it is in heaven, yeah. is it? So this is Ethiopia here, isn't it? The guy who travelled from there up to sort of hit, you can't quite see it very well in the map, but it's there. Even the fact that we call him Ethiopian eunuch is interesting because this guy was probably almost royalty. Okay. But he he's riding in a chariot. He is rich. He's almost certainly like the prime minister or one of the key ministry people in the nation of Ethiopia. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's that's what happens. And that's just one example, isn't it? Because you've got Philip in Samaria and he casts out demons. And this guy called Simon's like, oh, I want this power. Can I pay for it? Or is it Peter? I can't remember who it is. No, Philip. Yeah. Philip. They want to buy the, 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 the power. And crazy stories, yeah, all over the place. Power, yeah, incredible, <laughs> incredible stuff. But I think what I want to just pull out from this is that you might be sat watching this and thinking, I look at my life and all I see is loss, all I see is death, all I see is things going in the opposite direction for what I want. And in those moments, there is immense hope because the cross of Jesus was a moment, genuinely, if we really reflect on it, it was a moment of loss, of hopelessness, and of grief, of things going the wrong direction. The early church, the church was killed. It was a moment of loss, of grief, of things going in the wrong direction. And after the cross came the resurrection, after the death of the church came the scattering of the apostles, and really revival across the Mediterranean. If you look to Jesus... If in this moment you can give yourself to see him 
who knows what God could do out of this? Like, really, truly, it's not to minimise the loss. It's not to minimise that moment of pain. But it's to say that actually God is never finished. He's never finished. And actually, sometimes the richest things he does in people's lives come out of those moments. Yeah, so good. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. So, so amazing. So that's time bomb number one. Time bomb number one. The apostles get scattered. Yeah. Out of death comes life. Yeah. Amazing. And then what's the second time bomb? So the second time bomb is... Just really people start taking risks in obedience to the Spirit. And if you think about this, um, it's really easy, as I probably for years used to read, oh, Peter did this, and this happened, and that happened. And you think, hold on a minute, this is a guy. So let's look think about Ananias. Mm-hmm. Not Ananias and Sapphira, a different Ananias. Uh, he has this prophetic word, really, and who knows what that is, but almost certainly it's just a subjective thought. I should go... And pray for this guy who's a terrorist who's trying to kill the church. And he has to go through the process, probably talking with his small group. Like, this is what I think I need to do. But ultimately, that guy gets up and travels somewhere and knocks on the door of a room where he's probably thinking, I hope Saul is not in this room. I also kind of hope he is. Yeah. And that churning of his stomach opens the door and he's like, I could be killed right now, but in obedience to what you're saying to me, Holy Spirit, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to say, Jesus is claiming you. He wants you to suffer much for his sake. He's going to tend you as an apostle to the Gentiles and pray for him to be healed of his blindness. Yeah. I mean, just <laughs> can you imagine doing that? I can imagine being all over the place. <laughs> I'm sure. And the thing is, he probably was as well, right? Yeah. And it's not just him, Philip. Yeah. This is this blows my mind. Philip just has this sense that he should go to the road to Azotus, uh, and just he doesn't know why. Yeah. So what does he do? Like he yeah. changes his schedule and goes and does it, and then he's there in this this incredibly rich looking, like impressive looking chariot driving along, and the spirit's like, go over there and stand next to it and ask if they know what you're reading. I'm like, what? <laughs> But they start doing it. They start taking risks. And I guess with all these things, if somebody takes a risk and then tells a story, others think, oh, maybe I should do the same. Yeah. And stories build and stories build. And people start taking risks in response to the Holy Spirit. Peter, of course, is one of the main stories that we get in this section. He has a he has a, a, three visions, three visions of the massive, massive risk of taking the, the Jewish faith revealed and met in Jesus, taking that to the most Gentile of people, to a Roman centurion in a town overrun with Gentiles and to actually say, I'm going to step foot into that place and bring the Spirit's power. Yeah. Amazing. Incredible. Incredible. And these guys do this just in obedience to a leading of the Spirit. That's what I really feel like I'm trying to get at. It's something that you could easily write off. It's something you could easily not do. Yeah. But they obey. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, Luke doesn't really go into the mechanics or, it, of what you know. What was that sensation? You know, what was that? What is it to be led by the Spirit? He's obviously talking about something that for him and most of his expected readers, they had that shared language. It seems to be internal. Mm. An internal leading, an internal impression. I mean, because it states more clearly when they are either speaking in tongues or, you know, writing on the wall or a vision. 
it states it clearly, but led, led by the Spirit, it's this internal impression, not of my own, that I should go up to this chariot and ask what they're reading, that I should continue to preach the gospel to this people group that naturally I would pull away from, that I should go to a certain place at a certain time, that I should speak to this man who all my natural instinct is stay safe away from. And it's an internal compelling. Must be, mustn't it? And I think people who live in this kind of environment would say that it's something that's caught more than it's taught. Mm-hmm. You you kind of, you see somebody doing it, and you're like, ah, oh, okay, I, I catch that. Yeah. A guy called C. Peter Wagner was, he was a, an American preacher, I guess, missionary who went to South America and had a whole sort of framework for this is what it is to be church. And that framework was you preach, you sing a few nice hymns, you maybe try and get out in the community and meet people and tell them about Jesus. And um, I think it served him quite well. But in South America, he then came across these churches where people would routinely pray for the sick, cast out demons. They would have experience of the spirit which would prompt them to do things and to not do things. And it messed with his head. Yeah. And uh, reading his autobiography, it's called something called like wrestling with crocodiles and, and theologians. <laughs> uh, he's an unusual man. But the Lord really used him to um, to bring this understanding that actually risk-taking in obedience to the Spirit is so foundational for a healthy, growing church. And these South American pastors knew this and were doing this. And he, as the, as the sort of the American, went to this other part of the world thinking, I'm going to tell them all what's what. And then had this moment of like bitter humbling where he's like, actually, do you know what? These guys have got something I need. Yeah. And um, then spent the rest of his life trying to get the American church and then the European church to to learn, really, yeah. from the South Americans. Yeah. And um, it's something we're really trying to learn, isn't it? We're really trying to capture that church is a super – it's a place of miracles. It's a place of risk-taking seeking and expecting the supernatural move of God as just to be part of the fabric of who we are, not as one-off moments, but this is just who we are. We're a miracle society. Yeah. Uh, We're going slightly off script here, but these stories seem to be put in by Luke. Um, We've talked about this before. He selected these because they illustrate, and one of the things they seem to be illustrating is that this is how the church was birthed. Mm-hmm. in different places and different mission contexts. There was a miraculous event. You know, we know that the hand of the Lord is on the Ethiopian church because how could that... <laughs> it was just remarkable how the initial connection came to be. We know that the hand of the Lord is on these Gentiles because we see them filled with the Spirit yeah. and speaking in tongues. It's like, I don't know, one, two, three um, kind of foundational miracles, foundational events in the life of our local church that you'd look at and go, do you know what, that was a moment when I knew that God was in this thing and it set us on a trajectory which we wouldn't have gone on of our own. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, there's so many foundational moments. I think one key one, and I've told this many times, was when, when I was about 17 years old, walking along the road in Wallington, which is the town just near Croydon, and a guy jumps out of a car and says to me, are you a Christian? And at 17 years old, I was a bit like, well, I'm not sure whether I want to say yes to this or not. <laughs> but I said, yeah. And he said, I just feel like God's spoken to me, and I feel like God's given you this land, and he swept his hand in the direction of Croydon. 
And I think about that and I think, what an amazing thing for God to have done. So kind. Like, And it was actually nearly 13 years after that event that yeah. I woke up to what that meant. And Leslie and I chose to relocate and move to Croydon. But what an amazing thing, the kindness of the Lord. And you think when he initiates, you're like, okay, and what a joy and a privilege to respond to something like that. Yeah. And people would say, oh, you... You sacrificed a lot to come to Croydon, but it wasn't like that. It was like the sense of adventure, like to pursue what Jesus is inviting you to pursue. And and I think recently we felt a real stirring to actually recapture or push hard into the miraculous. Like COVID sucked so much out of the church. It was um, it was like one of those moments mm. where the seed falls to the ground. Yeah. And you look and think, I, I remember there was nights in COVID, I look and think, is there going to be a church left after yeah. this? Like, if this goes on and just you can't gather, you can't work, like, is there going to be anything left after this? Yeah. And then you have that moment, actually, it's profoundly energising where you think, oh, what do we want? Yeah. We want a community where the Spirit of God, we take risks in obedience to him. So you see that God's present somewhere, but it does require us to take a risk in obedience to this slight moment, yeah. this feeling. I mean, example, it's not necessarily so much foundational to our community, but... I remember, well, I'll tell you two stories. Yeah. One is that I remember there was a guy who came into one of our services who looked like he was not in a great place. And I just felt such a stirring in me to, to actually say, let's meet, uh, you know, let's get together mm-hmm. and meet. And started meeting this guy at a coffee shop in Carsholton mm-hmm. on every couple of weeks. And we just talk about life. And I just felt like the Lord wanted to say he wasn't done with this guy and has great things for his future. And he ended up working for us. And it's that right here. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like those moments of stirring, right? You can choose what you do with your time. You can choose what you invest in. And I think the Lord just is so pleased when you think, I think this might be you, God. I'm going to carve out some time. I'm going to choose to invest in this. And I don't know what will come of it. Yeah. And obviously, you, you've been used by the Lord to feed so much into our community. So that's really like a, a moment of instinct. I told the story on, on Sunday last week about Leslie when she went into rock bottom. And anyway, so I'm like, right, we're definitely need to find some people. So Leslie went out with Phil and had this word like rock bottom, right? And uh, they were walking around. And then Leslie said, Leslie saw this shop, which you might know on London Road, called Rock Bottom. Do you know this music shop? Which I don't think, I don't think Phil knew about. And so Leslie was like, let's go in that shop and find the, our worship leader. And I was like, no. You don't do that kind of thing. So like, yeah, come on, let's go in. So they went in and there was nobody in the shop at all. It was empty. And there was, there was a guy standing behind the till. And, and so Phil was like, well, okay, it didn't work. Never mind. We won't do it. And Leslie was like, no. We asked the guy behind the till. So she went to the guy behind the till and she said, Hello. I believe God has said that in this shop at Rock Bottom, there's going to be somebody who's going to be a worship leader in our church. Do you know any customers who may, who may fit that description? And the guy was like, um, sorry, I don't. Now, what would most normal people do in that moment? They'd be like, okay, thank you, never mind, and run. She went, but well, what about you? And so the guy was like, uh, and he did what lots of people always do, right? He said, no, 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 I don't, 
I don't think, I don't think so. My wife is persistent. <laughs> she said, so you don't, you know, do you know God in any way? And then, and then he goes, do you know what? I grew up in church. My parents have prayed for me. I've spent some time away. And maybe, I've been thinking maybe I need to find my way back to God. So she said, okay, great. Why didn't you come to our event? Right, which is like three or four days away. And then as soon as she got home, she posted to him, to him. She got his details. Posted to his a worship album. Which is a video worship album. She sent it to him to post. And it arrived on the morning of the event. And he said, and he showed up at the event. on that evening. And he said, I got this CD in the post this morning. Was this from you? And this was like, yes. So I just, as I've been listening to him, weeping and weeping and weeping. And I feel like Jesus has called me back to himself. And, and do you know, it's like moments like that that you hear obedience leads to fruitfulness. Just that, that willingness to say, I think this might be the Lord. I'll take a risk and I'm going to pursue it, um, even though I'm not sure yeah. if it's going to be the case. Yeah. Um, and that is what I would want to encourage many of us. If you're watching this and you want to see the Lord use you more, you want to see miracles, you want to see somebody healed, you want to see somebody come to faith, you want to see... Um, people doing well around you, you you want God's move in your life, then take more risks in obedience. Don't just take random risks, but when you think he might be saying something, try it. Yeah. And you can practice that in church, in small group, first of all, and then you build up and you start practicing it more in workplace or when you're out and about shopping or whatever it is, you build it up. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And that's how it happens. That's how it happens. Risk taking in response to the stirring of the spirit. Yeah. So that's what I took from these chapters. Um, Andy, what did you take? Yeah, I mean, you know, very similar. I think for me, I mean, obviously, Luke didn't plan it out like this, um, but just the kind of context of the persecution and scattering of the church. We've talked about as the death of the church. So you've got... You know, in the first bits of eight, uh, persecution is isolation, scattering, death, buried Stephen, mourning, persecution, um, destruction. That that's that's the start. That, <laughs> the death that we talked about it, and then in the, right at the end of the last chapter in our week's readings was the famine. You know, Agabus stood up. And through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And so in terms of kind of the, the context that all of this is taking place in, none of it would have been what, what they'd chosen. All of it quite quite challenging. And I think for me, it's it, it was one of those, again, take faith, have courage, be confident in what the Lord will do. You know, I can maybe look at something like COVID or, you know, the prospect of a war, you know, Ukraine and Russia or cost of living crisis. And I sort of think, oh, no, the kingdom of God's going to be chained or we're going to set back. But it's like these these events have always happened throughout the whole of history, mm. throughout the whole of the church. Yeah. Yeah. And this was actually the context for some of the most glorious moments of the church. Yeah. So you know, take heart. You know, it's not that these things don't hurt, that these things don't sting, that, that we wouldn't choose them to have another way. But right in the muck is is where the stuff grows up. So right. yeah. for me, it was just 
they were aware of the famine. They were they were not in denial. They didn't stay in you know a field outside of Jerusalem in a commune. <laughs> you know, they were right in amongst the people in the events that were happening in the in the in the context of their society and in that place, in those hard things, in those difficulties, in those kind of real the the the, the real big context things. The Lord was doing absolutely incredible things amongst individuals who would then change nations. Yeah. So take courage, take heart. Like, you know, maybe war will happen in, in Ukraine. Maybe it won't. Maybe there'll be a even more severe cost of living crisis. Maybe there'll be a new variant. Maybe there'll be this. Maybe there'll be that. But the word of the Lord won't be changed. No. He'll still be changing lives. He'll still be responding to people taking risks. He'll still be prompting. He'll still be winning people to himself. Um, so for me, it's one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, God. Even in this kind of context, yeah. doesn't it doesn't doesn't phase the kingdom. The Love kingdom goes marching on. Love that. And I guess when you grab that, you think I'm gonna contend for this. Yeah. I'm gonna be somebody who isn't sort of squashed. Yeah. By the the circumstances. Yeah. But I'm gonna fight and. Uh, you know, I I've absolutely wholeheartedly feel like this is a moment when some people will choose to say, I'm going to fight for this. Yeah. I'm going to pursue what I think the Spirit might be saying. Because if I do, incredible things could happen. I might be wrong. Yeah. And who knows? Yeah. But it's a moment, I think, when the Spirit's like, are you going to? Will you? Yeah. Mm. I'd love to pray for us to say, yes, we will. <laughs> um, actually, why don't you pray for us, Andy? Yeah. God, we thank you for these incredible things that you did in that time and, and in those places. Uh, thank you for how you won people to yourself in the most amazing ways, how you won Saul on the road to Damascus, how you won the Ethiopian eunuch, how you won the, the Sumerians and the... And the, the many across that region who heard your word and were filled with your spirit. And I thank you that your promise that you'll build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it proves true again and again and again. And we pray, Lord, for our time and for our place. I pray for every single person who watches this, that we would be a people who feel the prompting of your spirit and take risks to bring glory to your name. And that out of that, and in in this church, and in every single church that's connected with this, and, and your church in this nation, and across the nations, that we would be people that follow you in obedience. Yeah. Who contend, who don't shrink back, but who pursue you and your leading with everything that we've got. And yeah. we pray that we would see, we'd see again, Lord, glorious conversions cap people being captured by your love and your power and your gospel in this time and in this place mm. in Jesus name yeah